Good morning, everybody, and welcome. You are listening to the Faith FM Network, 87.6, 87.8, or 88, depending on where you are in the amazing country that we call Australia. This is The Breakfast Show. You are listening to Lyle and... Mon, good morning, Lyle. And I can't even tell you what day it is because I don't know what day it is because you're listening to... <laughs> the Delayed Broadcast. <laughs> Who knows what day the Delayed Broadcast goes out? I think I it goes out the day after for the most part. We just do it all live and then, then our producers like go and mix it up and record it and blah, 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 blah. And then they go and play it on some other day and we have no idea what day that is. So, it's usually, dear usually, listener... Usually the, it's usually a day late. Usually a day late, but sometimes it can be like a way later. So, dear listener, if you're listening to this and it is not... Tuesday, the 15th of May, you indeed are listening to the delayed broadcast. And the good news is there is a solution. Absolutely. You can jump across to the live show. It is easy peasy lemon squeezy. Just go to either our website, which is faithfm.com.au, or you can just jump on the TuneIn app, which is our favorite way to do it. You just download the app. It's called TuneIn. Get the free version. Search for Faith FM Australia. And once again, just press play. Okay, so coming up in today's show, we can prophesy what is happening because it has already happened. We uh-huh. have Malcolm Ray coming into the studio and we give him a bit of extra time because he has so many good stories to tell. Such good stories. This is a man who, a man of faith. Mm-hmm, indeed. Um, one, somebody who prays and God answers. Uh, so we've got some great stories there, answers to prayer that uh, Malcolm's going to share with us. We also have some stories about, what are you going to talk about, Mon? I'm going to tell some really heartwarming what stories. did you talk about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got some heartwarming warming stories about uh, overcoming and and just achieving really high. A little young girl, mm-hmm. you'd never expect this story. And then um, of a man who saved millions of lives. I think this one individual may have saved more lives than anybody else on the planet other than obviously Jesus Christ. And you know what? He did it in a way that we can all do. It's actually really easy. We can start today in our lunch break just Head on out. Yeah, see if you can break his record. Thing. Yeah, see if you can break his yeah. record. It's actually very simple. Like literally, everyone can do this. Yeah, a fantastic story right there. And of course, I'm going to talk about uh, something that I think is a very positive move that they're talking about in Britain, and that is a porn card. And you say, how is that positive? Well, if you want to know how that's positive, then you're going to have to stay tuned because. Um, they are tackling the issue of children accessing pornography. It's nice to see that somebody is at least thinking about doing something about this particular mm. situation. It took me a moment to swing around the idea. I had to really mull it over. But by the end of Lyle's little segment there, I am very much convinced it is a good step forward. Hmm. Yeah. But uh, what are you grateful for? Tell me quickly. Oh, I, uh, I'm grateful for killing Scotch thistles. Ah, Scotch thistles. They sound really nice, I have to admit. I'm grateful for yeah, taste buds. Not until buds. you tread on one. Yeah. Oh, oh, is it that kind of a thistle? Yeah, 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 okay. that kind of a thistle. I'm grateful for taste buds because this morning I accidentally uh, drunk off milk. <laughs> on my and your cereal. taste buds warn you, do not swallow. And yes, I was able to avoid getting a sick tummy. So stay right there. We're going to have a great show coming up for you right now and uh, enjoy the rest of your day.
You're listening to Alison Brooke, The Revelation Song, here on Faith FM, and we have a quiz to start our day as Mon desperately tries to get other flavours into her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so gross. Uh, and the thing is, I checked the box afterwards and indeed it expired last year sometime. Oh, last year. <laughs> yeah, like 2017. Oh, so Where gross. did you buy this from? Yeah, I, I just found it in the fridge, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. You ready? Yeah. This is a what city am I? Okay. Okay. And... Uh, I, I want to say this is like a medium hard one because <clears throat> we've been having uh, quite a few people call through for our easier ones. So I thought, you know what? Let me make it a little bit harder. I, uh, by the way, I put our quiz up yesterday. It's Hebron. Come on now, Lyle Southwell. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Hebron. <laughs> no, shush, shush. <laughs> anyway, um, I put our, I put our, uh, <coughs> excuse me, a quiz up on Instagram uh, yesterday, and I had quite a few people uh, messaging me with the correct answer. By the way, so good on you, Instagrammers who are following mm. us on Faith FM. Okay, what city am I? Clue number one: While living here, as Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room and never recovered. Mm-hmm. Am I saying it right? Ahaziah? Ahaziah. Yeah. So Ahaziah mm-hmm. fell through the lettuce of his he upper room and never recovered. for two years. While he was living in this city. Okay. If you know the he answer, give me a call. King. Oh, he was? Well, mm-hmm. okay, it sounds like he came to a tragic end. 1-800-FAITH-FM is the number to call. It's 1-800-324-843. Or you can text me 0491-064-669. And of course, you can message me on Facebook. Uh, our name is Faith FM Australia. Hmm. Ahaziah refused to ask God for healing Mm -hmm. and uh, went everywhere except asking God. He didn't ask God for healing. He avoided. He actually asked every other God there was. That's so crazy. I feel like when people are sick, that's when they often pray and turn to God. He must have been a real stubborn fool. Mm Mm-hmm. Ah, I want to know more about the story, but I don't, I'm not going to ask you because you have a terrible habit that when you start talking about the story behind the clue, you I've often done, just slip up and I give it away. I have done that twice in a year. Twice. twice Once every twice, six months. Twice since I've and started I've, working here, which has only been a few months. Yeah. Well, I've been <laughs> here still twice in a year. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Anyway, let me share with you some good news. Okay. Okay. So, if um, Lyle, if there was a do – you know, do you know what penmanship is? Uh, the ability to use a pen. Yeah. So penmanship is like beautiful handwriting, right? Uh, like calligraphy? Yeah. Th- I mean, if we're really, really good I thought at calligraphy it. was like really nice script yeah, it's and like penmanship, penmanship was really nice uh, words. Right. Sentence structure. Well, maybe. Am I wrong? I, do you know what, mate? You've confused me now because this just says penmanship. And I actually thought the same thing. Maybe in America it means something else. Right. You know anyway. how Americans often have different... Either which way. Okay, so there's a, there's a let's just call it a national handwriting competition. And uh, a little girl has won this national handwriting competition. But I want to ask you, of all the people who would be the least likely to win a handwriting competition, who do you think it would be? Uh, me. I don't mean like a specific person, but like, you know, like say someone who had no eyes or something like that. Oh, yeah. Someone maybe with um, cerebral palsy or something like that with, can't control their fine motor skills. This little girl who won this competition has no hands. Oh, what? Has no hands, won a handwriting competition. <laughs> I'm not even Without joking. hands. A Look, handwriting this is a competition. picture of her holding her Without trophy. Hands. Isn't that she is gorgeous? sensational. No hands. She was, okay, so her name is Anaya Elik. 
She was born without hands? And she was born without hands. She's a third grader. She attends Greenbrier Christian Academy and she uses her four arms to write. Um, you know, since she was a year old, her grandmother, realizing that she was going to have, you know, trouble, started teaching her from a young age, um, taught her to steady the pencil between her two wrists. And, um, and yeah, and... Uh, they decided against the use of a prosthetic uh, prosthesis for her right. and um, because they actually started to hinder her rather than help her is what her mother said. And, um, you know... That's interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, and this is, and this is astonishing because this is at a time when schools, they're mostly computer keyboards. There's no more emphasis on writing or spelling anymore. Um, a lot of schools are doing away with cursive writing as part of their vital, you know, development. Did you learn that? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. I used to use that for years. I used yeah. to use that. It's so much quicker. And then I got into the habit of not using it and haven't used it since I was. I, I struggle <laughs> to remember how to use it now. Do you just write in capitals, like, yep. like technical yeah. writing? Well, that's because yeah. you've got to do it. It's what you've got to use it for. Whenever you write something, that's what you've got to use is caps these days. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that, I find guys do a lot of caps when they do technical writing because, you know, that's what they learn when they go do, um, yeah, you know, their manual arts and stuff. Um, but, yeah, I want to show you a picture of her um, – of her handwriting because it's just astounding. I, I was I was astounded because I was looking at her handwriting going, do you know what? This little eight-year-old girl's handwriting is better than mine. Um, wonderful achievement. And uh, we send our congratulations. We will put a link up to this. on. Now, I'm surprised they didn't teach her to write with her feet because I know a lot of people without hands write with their feet. Yeah, that's true. I'm not sure because, you know, if you think about it, if she because she's just re- missing her hand, really. Mm. She's not missing her arm. Yeah, yeah. I guess she could... I don't know. Yeah, well, I guess yeah, with yeah. her with her feet, she still has her toes. That's right. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people write with their toes that have no hands. Anyway, okay. Yeah. Uh, here's a here's a picture of her handwriting. Hang on. Just throw that up on Facebook so that we can I'll have a look and Facebook. see what it's you see can what admire it's like. It. See whether it's see that it's better than mine or not. Wouldn't be hard. Yeah, and do you know what? If you have a disability or know someone with a disability <laughs> who is just conquering, Amazing. yeah, give us a call. We'd love to do a shout out for them. Um, and uh, and yeah, and put it put it up on Facebook. Human as well. beings are amazing creatures, and amazing what humans can do, and how the brain can rewire itself to deal with disabilities mm-hmm. that um, are either they're either born with or they get later in life, and the skills that they're able to produce, and it sort of think makes you think, you know, if we'd have been created with our hands, would we still be doing all the things that we're doing right now? You sometimes wonder whether probably we would. We would have just found another way of doing it. It's true. It's true. We have. We are blessed with amazing capabilities Mm -hmm. and I often think that we don't realize what those capabilities are until we're put in a hard position, you know, and are forced to be creative. Now, Mm. I have such a – this is such a heartwarming story and this is a a bit of a rebuke to myself. Have you heard of the man with the golden arm? Uh, No. We just talked about the girl with no hands, but I haven't heard about the man with the golden arm. The man with the golden arm. Okay, so he's an Australian. Um, His name's James Harrison, right? Uh, And he's – He's just retired from his position as, quote unquote, man with the golden arm. So he's an Australian senior, a senior and when he was 14, he had to undergo a chest surgery and he had to get a blood transfusion to save his life. Mm-hmm. And so he vowed after that that he would become a blood donor once he turned 18, even though he was actually really scared of needles. Bless oh, wow. his heart. He's 81 yeah, I'm now. I'm terrified of needles. Oh, you are? I absolutely hate the things. Uh, can I just have uh, someone write a note that we need to bring a needle into the studio? <laughs> <laughs> Keep Lyle under control. Yeah, I hate <laughs> the thing. Just like, yeah, whenever I have to get a needle, I look the other way and grip my teeth. Yeah, same, actually. I'm not a huge fan. I don't, I'm not like... It's petrified. like, why? Why are we scared of needles? I mean, it's, seriously, why are I we think, scared of needles? I think it's something unnatural about, about a foreign projectile entering your skin. I think we intuitively know that's not right. 
Nothing should be breaking my skin. And I think that it's I think that it's because it's intentional and it's mm-hmm. going to happen and it's premeditated. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you bang yourself, you hit your thumb, whatever, blood comes spurting out. But even you then, like you know it's not complain, right. But yeah. It it's doesn't not the freak ideal. me out like a needle does. Anyway, so he so so James Harrison, scared of needles, decides when I turn eighteen, I'm gonna give back, I'm gonna give blood transfusion. Anyway, it turns out, right, um, the doctors were shocked to find that his blood actually contained an antibody that directly neutralizes rhesus disease, which is a dangerous condition um, in which pregnant women's blood attacks her unborn child. Hmm. And, uh, and so it's, uh, about, it's about 17% of Australian women are, you know, are at risk of developing this condition. So they've been using his blood to basically save babies and um, – and he's been doing this now for 60 years. He's now 81. He's finally retired his golden arm. He has saved over 2.4 million Australian babies. No way. 2.4 no million way. Aussie babies. No One way. man's blood. One man. One man's blood. That is sensational. Yep. Has he giving some, been given some kind of award for this or – I, do you know what? I How really come hope this they isn't do. all over the news? I this really is—I've never do. heard of this before. Yeah. So in Australia, up until about 1967, there was literally thousands of babies dying each year. Doctors didn't know why. It was awful. Women were having numerous miscarriages. Babies were being born with brain damage, and then boom, this guy comes along with his with his special blood, and he's just been saving them left, right, and centre. Do they have people to replace him? I really, really hope so. And this is what I wanted to say on the radio do, do, today. Has this guy got a Guinness World Book of Records for saving the most lives? Well, or? it would be hard to compare him to other people because you never know where your blood goes after you've given blood. So you never – people might be doing yeah, more. Yeah, sure, but how, long do, how, often, how often does he give blood and how long has well, he Well, he's been for? doing it as often as he could for 60 years because you can't do it like every day. Yeah, I think Anyway, what I really wanted to say was giving blood is an important thing to do for humanity and it's an easy thing that yep. everyone can – you could literally go and do it in your lunch break. We recommend – here at Faith of Him, that you just take some time, go donate blood. You never know what kind of blood you have, what kind of rarity that you have that can help um, save other people's lives. Um, and this guy is a wonderful example thereof. This is Andrew Peterson with Kane and Bound.
voice of love and thunder deep With love he means to save us all And love has chosen you and me Long after we are dead and gone For a thousand years our tale be Listening to Andrew Peterson with Canaan Bound here on Faith FM, and what's our second quiz clue, Mon? What city am I? This city was built by King Omri. Mm-hmm. Mm, there King you go. Omri, pretty cool name, Omri. It's a very cool name, and of course, one of the names that we have found in archaeology. Oh, really? Absolutely, dug his name up out of the ground. Don't huh? say anything more. You're going to say something like, dug his name up out of the ground of the city of Bloom, and they're going to say the answer. You're like so paranoid. <laughs> well, you've messed this up enough times. If you think okay. you know the answer, give me a call, 1-800-FAITH-FM. I have some potentially good news. Oh, tell me. Yes. So this is potentially good news. Um, in England, in uh, Great Britain, uh-huh. they are proposing a porn pass. I don't know what that is, but I, I'm happy that this is... Sounds like it might be preventing pornography. <laughs> but go ahead and tell me everything. <laughs> because it's like, okay, how is porn pass a uh, a good thing? Well, here's how. Here's, here's the concept behind it. What they're trying to do is that they are trying to combat, and, and and this seems to be, you know, maybe somebody else has tried it. I don't know, but it seems to be like the first ever attempt after, you know, what thirty years. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're trying to combat children who are looking at accessing pornography. And so they're creating, they're, they're proposing to create a porn pass, which is much like an iTunes card or something like that. Whereas if you want to access pornography, you go down to the newsagent and you buy your porn pass and that gives you then access to pornography. And of course, you can't, you know, 16 digit code on it, all that kind of stuff. And it protects, it, it creates a layer of protection for children. Okay, so let me get this straight. You can only access pornography if you have a porn pass. Yeah. Okay, so what kind of pornography? Are we talking about pornography online, pornography online. from magazines? Because magazine pornography is basically non-existent these days mm-hmm. uh, because of the online environment. Who's going to spend money to buy a magazine when it's free online? Um, mm-hmm. You know, Playboy doesn't even um, produce you know, nude pictures in their magazine anymore. Okay, so in order for this to work, every single website that has pornographic material would have to agree to the UK. Yeah, so I guess it would replace a button that says, you know, are you 18 years or older, which any eight-year-old kid would press and go, yeah, of course I'm 18 years old and older. Okay, and so they, and so they would... So this would this would require the UK to control and monitor any um, 
pornographic. Uh, yeah, so a website that pr- uh, produces pornography if it doesn't re- if it doesn't have a uh, you know sixteen digit sign in from a porn pass would be fined up to uh, four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. okay. Hit them with the yeah. so money. If, you, if, you, if, you, if you're putting content out there that is pornography and you don't have a sign-in for it and it doesn't require their porn pass, then you get smacked with a fine. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that's... Okay, I'd love to get rid of pornography altogether. altogether. Yeah. However, mm-hmm. I think that this is a really good thing from the perspective, if you're going to, you know, it's, you've got to start somewhere. Yes, true. And we definitely should be starting with our children because we have been yes. sexually abusing our children for the last what, 25, 30 years, mm-hmm. um, but at least, you know, for the last 10 or 15 years since we've been giving them uh, smartphones and unlimited access to the worst kinds of pornography that exist, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the average age that a child starts looking at pornography is 11. Oh. We have a lot of children uh, starting to look at pornography at around six and seven years of age. You know, this is – and the pornography that is out there is far more violent and graphic than what you ever used to get in a Playboy magazine. Mm-hmm. And so you've got children who just do not have the qualifications to understand what an intimate relationship is. And so they're being taught what an intimate relationship is by the porn industry Mm -hmm. rather than by, you know, their parents or, you know, role modeling from, uh, you know, people that can sit down and say, "This this is what it is. And so you've got a whole generation of children out there that have absolutely that are, that are never going to experience the joy of true sex, mm-hmm. you know, the, the true joy of sex. Mm-hmm. It's just never going to happen They're, because they've been so damaged by what they have seen that that that, that violent sex has become normal. It's been normalised. Uh, so you're saying that these children, they themselves are actively seeking out pornography to to look at it, like. Oh yeah, eleven years, eleven years is the average age that a child starts looking at pornography. If you've got an eleven-year-old, um, you know it's, you'd be pretty confident that they have. Uh, That's man, times have changed. When I was eleven, I didn't even know what sex was. Yeah, well, I was uh, exposed to pornography when I was eleven years old, but that was, you know, <coughs> your friend from school who brings his Cooking dad's magazines. dirty, ma- dirty magazines mm-hmm. to school and shows them out be- behind the uh, toilet block, kind of thing, uh, which was pretty mild and. Insignificant compared to what's out there today. What, yeah. I just, I, you know, I guess I think this is a step in the right direction in terms of protecting our children. But my cynical side says, yeah, this is the government's move to somehow try and make money out of what has become the most sought thing on the internet. Like pornography is like basically the internet is pornography, and uh, and I just can, you know, I can just see the, the government trying to cash in on it. Like, oh yeah, let's make a pass. People have to, you know, I don't know. Yep, they have to, have to pay it. a pass, buy a pass, or something like that. Yeah, up, you know, there's, every I year. I mean, there's also fee. there's also that whole thing of okay, would you go down to the uh, your local news agent? Like one guy here tweeted, "I'm sorry, but I know my news agent owners by name, and I live in a small town, and would feel super embarrassed if I had to go in there on the daily to ask for a porn pass." Like, you know, oh, you have to go there daily to ask for a porn pass. <coughs> you know, yes, yeah, just bread, milk, and a porn pass, please. I think this is good. I think yeah. this is a step in the right direction. Yeah. I think this is very positive. And I don't care if the money, if the government makes money, mm-hmm. tax it to the eyeballs. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, do you know, I agree with that, actually. You tax know? it left, right, and center. But and, and help to pay for some of the damage that it is doing to society. Yeah, yeah. Actually, do you know what? I agree with that. But I was surprised. I, didn't, I wouldn't have thought that would be a daily porn pass. I would have thought you, you'd suck, you know, like, a, like a one of those, um, you know, an Opal card that we use in Sydney or a Mikey card in Melbourne or like, you know, a multi-rider. Well, who knows what it will be? This is a proposal time. at this stage. Okay, yeah. And I think that it would be good, you know, any. Anything that they do to combat it is a step in the right direction yeah. because at the moment nothing is being done. Yeah. Absolutely well, nothing. In that case-
case, I think we should have it now that I've thought about it some more. And I definitely think we should tax it for all it's worth um, and then use the money to further kill it, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> a bit like what they do with cigarettes. <clears throat> yeah, well, at least uh, put the money towards dealing with the psychological damage that is mm-hmm. being created and the people that are ending up um, uh, victims of abuse because of uh, young children that have never, ever learnt how to have a loving, intimate uh, sexual relationship and sex is like one of the greatest things out there mm-hmm. and there are so many people who are never going to understand what that is they are never going mm-hmm. to experience it because they, 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 they violent sex has been normalized I think it's definitely a tool of the devil to pervert something that God created as as good and as, as oh yeah pure. the devil takes the best things and makes and them makes the worst them, ruins them yeah and you can definitely see that with just the explosion of, of you know of, of horrific por- pornography and you know violence pornography if there's anything that's really horrific in the planet you should just try and find what the counterfeit is what the what the true one is you know because it's usually a counterfeit so yeah and there's a there's research has shown over and over and over again that there's a direct relationship between consumption of porn um incidents and sexual violence Mm, yeah yeah you know and and it's like that's not rocket science is it you know seriously um, well, I hope that goes somewhere good. I'm definitely going to stay on top of that news feed and see what happens. And, of course, it was on this day back in 1948 mm-hmm. that uh, the State of Israel was declared, independent State of Israel was oh, declared. Okay. And also on this day that um, the United States Embassy in Jerusalem has just been opened. Which is kind of sad to see the news today. Yeah, it's um, resulted in 52 deaths of uh, Palestinian protesters so far, um, which is tragic. You you think, why would you go and protest something like this when you know that you're likely going to die for it? But mm-hmm. um, it it's just it is just such a mess. And how this is going to help solve the problems in the Middle East, I've yet to be told. Mm-hmm. Do you really think any problems in the Middle East will ever be really solved? No, I don't believe that they will ever be solved. The only thing that will solve problems in the Middle East is the return of Jesus Christ. Um, And and I see something like this as being like, why? Mm -hmm. Why would you do something so provocative? Why would you do something that is going to cost, you know, Mm. untold numbers of lives. You, you, the, moment that, the moment that Donald Trump goes in there and says, yes, we're going to open this embassy in this particular city, you know he has just become responsible for goodness knows how many lives that are going to be lost on either sides of that conflict. Mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's just going to create violence. Yeah. We, you know, so, so why do it? Mm-hmm. You know, what's, what, what's the point? Oh, it's symbolic and all the rest. Just get over the symbolism of it. Have your embassy in Tel Aviv. Have your embassy anywhere else but in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, you know, if we want to have peace somewhere, you don't have to have it in a particular city for it to be an effective embassy. I'm, I was because I was reading about this morning. And I was wondering, you know, the staffers like who in their right mind would be like, "Oh yeah, I'll go work there." I'd never go work at the embassy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you have an opinion about this, yeah, absolutely, call. love to hear from you. Our number is one eight hundred Faith FM. Would love to hear about you know European um, about what's happening over there in the Middle East. Um, we are going to have a song, and we're going to come back with our live guest. He's coming into the studio, um, Mr. Malcolm Ray. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, he's very excited t- about that. He's going to tell us about a decision that he made, a promise that he made to God in a time of crisis Ooh. and followed it through. This is Anna Beaton, Genuine Love.
everybody that was Anna Beden with Genuine Love here on Faith FM and we have a special guest who has joined us in the studio before we go to our special guest Mon did you I see you reaching for the quiz mm-hmm. okay so I'm going to give you a quick clue <clears throat> what city am I clue number three when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that people in this city had believed in Jesus they sent Peter and John to them uh-huh. if you know what city that is give me a call 1-800-FAITH-FM we'll send the prize today it is a Soyam Eastern city don't give the answer Malcolm but have you got an idea what city that might be not really. Oh, okay. We've got Malcolm stumped. Okay, Malcolm Ray is our guest, our special guest who is joining us today. Welcome, Malcolm. Thank you for joining the show. And thank you for coming into the studio. Mm, you're welcome. Especially this hour of the day, nice yeah. and early. And we Malcolm, appreciate that. Malcolm has travelled all the way down from Stroud to be here. From where? Stroud. Never heard of it. That's <laughs> yeah, between Newcastle and Gloucester. Never heard of Gloucester either. <laughs> I'm a West Australian. You could like rattle off names for hours. I'd just be like, huh? How far away is Stroud? Uh, it's about, yeah, probably 50 minutes. 50 minutes. Oh, bless yeah. your heart. That's a long drive in this hour. So you thing. live in Stroud and you work in... In Sydney. That's Sydney. Right. That is yeah. a long commute. Yes, it is. I don't do it every day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how, how often do you do the commute down to Sydney? Uh, probably a couple of times a week usually. Okay. Mm. So we're going to hear about your work in Sydney and what you're doing down there at the moment and mm-hmm. uh, some stories uh, around that. But before we get to that... Um, I did promise our listeners that you were going to share a story where in a time of crisis, you made a promise to God. Now, um, if you're listening in today and you've ever had this kind of experience where there's been a crisis and you've promised God, God, if you get me out of this crisis, I will do, then maybe you can uh, give us a call on 1-800-324-843 or text us on 0491064669 to tell us your story. I think often in these kinds of situations, we make promises and then once the crisis is passed, the promise sort it's of forgotten. wanes and is forgotten mm-hmm. and disappears. But Malcolm, that wasn't the way it was in your case. Can you tell us this story? Yes. There's actually two stories that spring to mind. And so I'm going to tell a more recent story. Oh, okay. Not, not yeah, the yeah. one I had mentioned to you from my childhood. Uh-huh. So th- this story began because I was completing some tertiary studies And as the year rolled by and coming to the end of this course, I was wondering what to do next. Should I do further tertiary studies or should I um, seek work? And so I kind of did both. 
I was applying for different sorts of courses around Australia mm-hmm. and um, also applying for employment. And gradually, um, I, I realized I was going to a narrow place with not many opportunities. I was getting reply back from the, the course coordinators saying that there were, there were few um, vacancies mm-hmm. and I would have to apply again in 18 months' time and so on. So it, it seems that things were, the work, work, work opportunities also were drying up. Okay. So that there, was, there was little happening in that space. Yeah, that would be a rather um, nervous space to be in. Yeah, it was. So we were we were some months out from the end of the the year course that I was doing, and some friends of ours um, came back from Papua New Guinea, and they had been working up there. They worked there all together for six years, mm-hmm. uh, and they were looking. Uh, they were doing uh, education in one of one of the Adventist hospitals up there, mm-hmm. and so they came and had dinner with us, and they talked about the opportunities, and so they said, "Well, if you have an interest." Why don't you apply? See if there's anything available. So apply in Papua New Guinea. And, and no, no, apply for international work. Oh, okay, in, yeah, in some, uh-huh, uh-huh. In some capacity. Yeah. So that's what we did. Yep. Mm. And uh, what was the result of uh, your application for doing it? Okay, so b- b- just back up a little bit. Where were you living at the time? Uh, we were living it in the hills area of Sydney, okay. Winston Hills. Yeah, yep, yes, yep. yeah, Because yeah. um, I was wondering, just listening to your accent, you have not lived all your life in this country, have you? No, I was born in, in Taranaki in New Zealand. Uh, in good, to, good to have a Kiwi on the show. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, may God bless all of our Kiwi friends who are listening to us online this morning. Um, <clears throat> okay, so you, um, you're living in Sydney and you apply for... Now, when you apply for international work... Is that a limited number of countries or is it just sort of like, yeah, I'll just apply for international work and it could be anywhere in the world? How does that actually happen? Uh, we applied to the Seventh-day Adventist T- Church um, the South Pacific Division Office. Okay. So we went and made an appointment up there and th- their work um, and their reach is, is uh, just limited to the South Pacific. Okay. So Australia, New Zealand and Papua New Guinea and the South Pacific Islands. Okay. Yep. Yeah. All right. So anywhere within you – could, you could get a call anywhere within that region. Yes, that's right. So – so we went and made an appointment, and we um, spent a couple of hours talking about opportunities. And one one opportunity stood out. It was looking after the hospital in Vanuatu, then New Hebrides. Okay. Wow! Mm. And so, uh, did that did that eventuate? Did you end up travelling to well, Vanuatu? We we told them that on the day that we would accept the call. Yep. So we it was it was an offer, a firm offer, and we said. We looked at each other, and we kind of had been praying about it for quite some time. Um, and the background to that that prayer life was that um, when it was fairly clear that there were no immediate opportunities for work or further t- further tertiary training, mm-hmm. then we um, had had prayed a prayer with God, and this is the way it went. We said, "Okay, God, next year belongs to you. You can whatever you give us for next year, it's your year." Next year belongs to you. Yeah, because I couldn't imagine that it would be everybody's um, first choice to like, yeah, I'm going to go to a developing country in the middle of the Pacific uh, and run a hospital there. Mm. But right. um, this was the call that you got. And so uh, how long did you spend in Vanuatu? Yeah, so we, we went and spent a year there. So we said yes to the, the position. Mm-hmm. We went home that night, opened the letterbox, and there was um, a job op- offer to go and work in Tauranga, New Zealand, which is quite a delightful climate there, a very nice. And so that was in our letterbox. <laughs> <laughs> we had said yes that day. We got home, opened the mail, and there was this offer. Yeah. So 
It was fait accompli. We didn't change That's our it. mind. And God Amen. had God had made God had given you a call, and you accepted that call and went through with it. Mm, Fantastic. So what was it like living in uh, Vanuatu? Yeah, how exciting. Hospital in Vanuatu. Yeah, it, it was a very interesting experience. Um, we had three miraculous um, God moments before we left Australia. Mm-hmm. I won't take time to tell all three of them, but I would like to tell one of those. Sure, yes, please. Yes, yes. Um, so what happened was that um, w- the arrangement was that we would go and we would be volunteers looking after this hospital for a year. Mm-hmm. So we said, yes, that's fine, because I had seven weeks accrued annual leave, and we, we did the maths, and we thought, okay, seven weeks accrued leave, and we have to pay our own fares to get there and back, and while we're living there, we'd be given a house, and we would have a small stipend just to, just to survive as a family. We had sure. two very small boys in those days. Yep. So um, a roof over your head and food in your stomach, and yeah, that was about that, it. that's right. So it was just survival mode for a year, and we said, okay, well, that's, that's the deal. God's given us this opportunity so we're we're happy to accept that and um about two weeks out from our departure date which was all booked and fares paid and so on i had my final payout figure from work and it and and it was several hundred dollars short of what we needed my wife and i sat down two weeks out we worked out our budget all the expenditure bills we had to pay before we go and essential things we needed for a very fundamental very basic lifestyle out there and we were several hundred dollars short mm-hmm. and so we should have had more faith but we were went to bed pretty discouraged that night mm-hmm. little did we know that god was was working stuff there was um, a fellow we knew fairly casually from a church we had attended who was on his knees praying while we were doing our budget. So about 9.30 at night, while we had finalized our budget, this gentleman was on his knees praying, and he felt a pretty strong God nudge. You need to call Malcolm and Ellie, and you need to make an offer of funds that he had set aside specifically for missionaries and people doing international work like that, international development. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So next morning, so we know nothing about this. Next morning, 7 o'clock in the morning, a slightly... Uh, unreasonable early hour. <laughs> the, the, the phone went, pick it up, and there was this gentleman on the phone. And he said, Malcolm, um, my wife and I have just heard that you're off to uh, Vanuatu for a year. Uh, is that right? Yes, it's correct. And he said, well, some time ago we had friends in Madagascar and we helped them establish a water um, system for the, the mission compound there. And he said, so what we did was we gave them some assistance. And then after that, we set up a fund and we just put a little bit of money each pay. We put it in this special fund. And he said, and um, I felt, I was praying last night about what to do with this money. And he said, basically, God said to me, you need to offer it to Malcolm and Ellie. Oh, wow. Praise God. And now the, the, the wow moment was when he told us how much money there was in that fund and it was exactly the dollar amount that we were short on our budget that we had worked out the, the night before. Wow. To the dollar. 
God never, God never misses anything, does he? Mm. I think that's a great story. Not only, um, you know, how God came through for you, but I think it's a great encouragement to people who, you know, we can't all, you know, go off and be um, missionaries in third world countries, but we can all put a little bit of our, our pay aside and have a fund, you know, to support missionaries, to support God's ministries and just wait on God um, to tell us where he wants us to put that money. I think that's a great encouraging um, story of, of a person planning to be a blessing. Mm. Yeah, praise God. Okay, so Malcolm, we, I did I did promise our listeners that you would tell us a story from when you were a child. Uh, I made a promise to God. So <laughs> could you share that story with us? That's, I've not heard this story before, so I'd love to hear it as well. Okay, well, it, it happened when I was about 10 years of age, um, and I had lots of brothers and sisters, which was wonderful. We lived on a farm in New Zealand, and my parents, uh, were uh, they were milking cattle, mm-hmm. milking cows, and so uh, come Sabbath morning, Saturday morning, my parents would rush back from milking the cows and there would be a bit of a mad scramble as children would be running around the house looking for shoes and shirts and whatever it takes to dress up to go to church. Yep. And so we'd, we would all um, scramble and, and get into the old van that we used. We used to sell things at the markets. In those days, there was no, no seat belts. And so it was, a, it was a big bench seat in the front. Usually two children would sit on the bench seat with mum and dad in the front, yep. and the rest of us would roll around in the back until we got to church. <laughs> so that's what it was like. How many of you was there? Oh, there, were, there at that stage, there was five of us. Okay. Yeah, so a couple came on a little bit later. Yeah. And so I was about 10 years of age, and we got um, halfway to church, and suddenly mum's head spun around, and she said, Where's John? Like that. Where's John? <laughs> and we, look, we all looked in the front thinking, well, isn't he over there with you? And she was looking in the back and there was no John. John oh, was, was my little brother about two years of age. Oh, and we had, we had left him at home, which was you know, about 10 kilometers away. And uh, so Dad hit the brakes rather suddenly. We all um, rolled to the front. I shouldn't be laughing at this. If that happened to me, I would be terrified. But anyway. <laughs> so, so Dad did a U-turn and we drove home considerably faster than we had been <laughs> driving to church. And it was one long straight and it had a little hill on it. And we used to enjoy having our stomach heave up into our chest as Dad would. We nearly took off this time. <laughs> we went over this little, this little bump. And, and so. So as we headed home, there was a deathly calm and silence in the van as we drove very fast. And I remember just leaning over the back seat and turning my heart over to God and just praying. And I said, God, if you protect my little brother, I said, and keep him safe, then I will serve my life for you. When I'm an adult, I will I will." Be your hands, your feet. I will give my life to you and work mm-hmm. for you in my adult life. So that's what I, that was my prayer. Wow. And so we headed home, and, and it was no ordinary worry and concern that I had had. Our, um, our house was between quite a large river down a steep bank, and on the other side was the main, um, like the Pacific Highway for New Zealand going oh, wow. past our yeah. door. Mm-hmm. And I had seen um, our little dog giving hit on the road, and a little goat got killed. Um, on the on the road, and so I knew that it was a very dangerous road. And so, mm. if my little two year old brother John had tried to follow us as he saw us drive off or something, anything could have happened. Mm. So it was a desperate plea to God, begging God for intervention and protection. Yeah, it wasn't just a lonely farmhouse where nothing could really go wrong or hurt no. him or anything like that. No, that's right. So we we sped home, 
and down the hill, round the corner, across the bridge, and we shot in past the shed and up to the house. And as we approached the house, the van door popped open and all the doors came up very quickly. Um, and so we knew that, um, that we had to do something very quickly, and that would be to find our, our little brother. And so um, we're going to take a break in just a moment, and I'll tell you exactly what happened as um, we all got out of the, the car Okie doke. Okay, so uh, you're going to have to um, wait for that. And uh, Malcolm will be back with us in just a minute to, to finish that story. We we just started to run out of time there. And so we're going to um, hear the rest of that story in just a moment. So stay tuned. Uh, we're going to have Audrey Sad, Spirit of the Living God, at this time. Till perfect day. 
Welcome back, everybody. That was Audrey said, and we have decided to keep Malcolm on here a little bit longer because we're in the middle of a fascinating story that he was sharing from his childhood. And if you're just tuned in, just to fill you in on the details, Malcolm was sharing how that uh, on a particular Saturday morning while they were all the rather large family rushing around uh, to get ready to go to church. This was back in the day when, uh, you know, before seatbelts and so forth. But um, they all go roaring off to church, get about um, 10 miles down the road and suddenly realise that the two-year-old is missing and they live on the side of you know, the main highway in New Zealand. Uh, it runs right past their front door. And, of course, the two-year-old has run of the house and run of the yard and run of potentially that highway all by himself, um, You know, particularly if he decided to try and follow his family who had just driven off and abandoned him. And so, Malcolm, just fill us in very quickly. What was the promise that you made um, to God as you were driving back? Mm. It was a desperate plea to God, please protect my little two-year-old brother John because um, I knew the danger of the highway and we had a steep bank and a river on the other side of the house. So the house was wedged um, with these two high-risk things right next door to the house. Um, And so I was really very nervous about about what would happen to him if he decided to follow us or, you know, with no one there supervising him. Mm. And so you've made this promise to God that you would serve him for the rest of your adult life mm. if he, if he pres- yes. preserves so him. That's, okay. that's the prayer. I said, God, if you protect him, I'll, I'll be your man. I will, I will live and work for you as an adult. What happened when you got home? We got home, drove up. All the doors of the van popped open pretty well as we came to a ground to a halt. And we all leapt out together, mum and dad and... and the children, um, four of us, and we were shouting, John, John. And we were greeted by the, the deafening roar of silence, nothing. Aww. John, John. And we ran up to the front door and shouted in the house, John. And we ran from room to room in the house, ran into John's room first. No, he's not in his own room, not in his own bed. Went to mum and dad's room, checked. We would think that maybe he would have gone to his parents' bed. Nothing. Then I went into my room, and there in my bed was little John fast asleep. In your bed? So to me, that was an amazing, a very pointed response by God. Yeah. You would expect that if he cried himself to sleep, he would have gone to his own bed or maybe to his parents, but he was in my bed fast asleep. And you were the one who had just made a promise that you would serve God if God protected him and yes. God protected him in your bed. That's it. What a sensational story. Okay, so the results of that story then is that you are now serving God. Yes, I, and, and I really had no, um, um, I, I had no real plan about how that was all going to happen. Sure. But God has guided me. He has blessed me. I've moved from one a position, one form of employment to another. And on each occasion, I would pray to God mm. and I would say, should I accept this? this is, is this a call from you? Do I follow your lead here? Um, and on, on some of those occasions, God was silent, but mm. mostly he said, you continue to serve me and go ahead and accept this position. So mm. that was a pretty clear message on each occasion. Yeah, absolutely. So, mm. And, of course, uh, both of your sons are pastoring right here in the local area. 
Um, you have one son who's pastoring right here in uh, Wall's End, um, right here on Lake Road. And so if you'd like to um, to meet him, you can come along there and attend the Wall's End Church right here in Newcastle, Lake Road, Newcastle, by Macquarie College there anytime. And your other son is uh, chaplain at Macquarie College. Is that right? That's correct. Praise yes. God. Mm. And um, very quickly, just as we're finishing up, you are currently serving God doing what? Mm. Um, I'm um, Because of my medical science background, and my international development experience, both in Vanuatu and in Africa, working in Sudan mm-hmm. for three years, I have the role, a dual role, uh, looking after two charities, Adventist Development Relief Agency, ADRA, mm-hmm. yep. and also the Fund for Needy Persons. We have two charities in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And the other role I have is the health director there. Mm, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been great having you as a part of the show today, Malcolm. And I get this impression that uh, we could sit here and just hear stories all day long, mm-hmm. answers to prayer, um, stories about the Sudan, Vanuatu, some of the adventures you've had right around the world. So maybe we'll have to get you back in one day, but we are out of time for now. We're going to listen to Carly Fletcher. Teach us to number our days. You're listening to Faith FM. We'll be back right after the news.
God has already done isn't enough for you, nothing's going to be enough for you. Because it's meant to be real. And real life stories have baggage. We know that Peter's a loose cannon. It's all about context. And he chose different personalities to express that because his personality is infinite. If it's a love song written to us, when we're at our lowest points, we've got back up. Like a lot of the rational arguments for the existence of God, they tend to work better after you believe. Hi, this is Luke from oztabletalk.com.au. Please join myself and some of my closest friends as we explore our faith through conversation, Bible study, interviews, and more. You can find us online at oztabletalk.com.au. That's oz as in Australia, A-U-S, tabletalk.com.au. Looking forward to seeing you there. Bye. I'm so glad that's recorded because I want to write that down. Yeah. <laughs> Someone called it the care package there. <laughs> wow. <laughs>